Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we are going to be studying um, 2 Timothy, and we're jumping back in at chapter 3 at verse 16 and we'll be going down through chapter 4 down through verse 8 so what i'm going to do is i'm going to read these verses first and then i'm going to um, share my thoughts about that verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who've loved his appearing. So here we have Paul giving final instructions. You could think of it as almost his deathbed. This is Paul in a cell in Rome. Uh, waiting to be executed. This is his final letter to Timothy. And these are Paul's final words that we can hear. We ought to hold these things so precious and so dear because this is the last communication we've got from Paul. And uh, you know how precious is it, you know, when you hear the last words of somebody or you give the you give somebody their their last words. Well, this is it. And, you know, people... People remember the last thing somebody says to you sometimes, whether you want to or not, because they're just that important. And so, so um, these are Paul's last words. And 
let's let's think about them. I mean, the, when I read through them several times, and I've and I've read through them before, but within this context, they just mean so much more. And so the first thing he's talking about is scripture. Isn't it amazing how Paul just stays with the scripture? It's the word of God. It all he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about all the things he wished he could do or uh, he wished he you know you know reminiscing on his life and stuff. He's not he's not doing that. He starts off with scripture, and I, I think that the way I'm looking at this is that I can only hope that when you know. And I think we all can only hope that when we're on our deathbeds or when we're in some kind of situation where we know that maybe we're old and we're laying in a hospital bed somewhere and you've lost control or you've lost control of uh, your medical situation, you can only hope that, that you could maybe be a little bit like this and and just center on scripture and just center on all that and he's telling Timothy whatever you do with your life Timothy what what the way you're going to you know keep your life pointed keep it centered on scripture and don't let any anybody tell you anything differently and and basically he's just saying here in no uncertain terms all scripture comes from God it is God breathed it comes from the mouth of God this is God's word to you Timothy so these scriptures are the the most precious thing you've got you know Paul is writing Timothy his last words and and my how we should hold them as precious and dear but he's saying look even more than my last words the the words of God have been given to you those are the words you got to hold precious and dear to you to whatever you do don't lose those words. Don't lose your focus on those words. Don't keep your don't take your eyes off those words. Those words are your life. Those words are eternal life. They're from God. Those are words are breathed by God. And so that's what he's telling Timothy right off the bat. And then right after that, how he's saying how precious these words are, he gives him a warning. He gives him a warning in no uncertain terms because he's saying, you got to be careful, Timothy, because the time is coming when people are not going to believe these words. They're going to reject these words. And, you know, as McGee points out, McGee's saying that time has already started. Now, it started right around then because Timothy's got his ears full of false teachers in the church in Ephesus. And so Paul's been telling him, how, you know, how to handle these people and how to, how to, you know, work on a church. But even today, we've got people more and more just rejecting these words, rejecting the Bible. Of course, we've got more and more people believing the, in the scriptures too. But Paul warns the time will come when people will reject this word and they'll seek out new teachers. They'll seek out people that will teach and preach uh, whatever these itching ears want to hear, whatever you want to hear, you can find somebody telling you that's the truth. And Paul's warning Timothy, you know, you got to be careful and, you know, protect this gospel message and keep it true. And then he gives him the charge, the ultimate charge, the charge he gave him back in the first letter of 1 Timothy, he gave Timothy a charge. Now this charge, he gives him so, um, 
This charge is so formal. Like, you know, in the presence of God, who's going to do all the judging? He makes it as formal as he can. In the name of the Lord, I charge you to preach the word. That's what he says to Timothy. That's Timothy's charge, is to stay in the gospel word, to hold the gospel um, as truth and to preach it. And McGee says it's, that word can be also um, interpreted and translated as to herald the word, be a trumpeter of the word. You know, go in there. Like, you may not be able to play a musical instrument, but you can play on the musical instrument of the gospel, and that'll be like music to other people's ears. That'll be music to God's ears. That'll be pleasing to Him. What He's telling Timothy to do is, whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever tools you have in your toolbox, preach the gospel, herald the gospel, sing the gospel, proclaim the gospel. It's all about the Word of God. It's all about the Gospel message. And that's what he charges Timothy to do. He charges him. If he, he boils it down, he boils it down to one thing. And he's saying, Timothy, you got to be careful because there's coming a time when people are going to want to hear different things. They're not going to want to hear the Gospel message. Or they're going to change the Gospel message to something that it is not. And he says this gospel message is used to teach and reproof and rebuke and to correct people as much as it is to inspire people and to educate people on this is being the truth. So you can go to people who are saying it wrong and correct them. You can go to people who have never heard the gospel before and inform them. Herald the gospel. Teach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Preach the gospel. All of this is summed up as a ministry he sums it up fulfill your ministry fulfill your ministry in the gospel message the ministry and that word can be translated from a word uh, called serve a minister is a servant so in that sense all of us are ministers of the gospel because all of us are servants of the Lord we're all serving the gospel Message. We're all serving the Lord by ministering the gospel message, by spreading the gospel message. We are all called, just like Timothy, to fulfill our ministry, to, to proclaim the gospel, to herald the gospel. That's what it is. And, and the Bible says that even if you don't herald the gospel like you're supposed to, even the rocks, if no one herald the gospel, even the rocks would cry out. The rocks themselves would cry out because the world cannot contain itself. The world knows the gospel message. The world knows the power of the Lord. So that's our charge, to fulfill our ministry. You've heard people say it's time to fulfill your destiny. Well, this in this regard, it's the gospel. To fulfill your ministry, you're called to be a minister. You're called to be a servant of the gospel message. And then, what do you think Paul's starting to say then, after he gives him the charge? Paul's saying around, well, look, my time is running out, Timothy. I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm giving you this charge. He's passing the baton now to Timothy. He's giving him, he's, he's saying, Timothy, I've given you all the advice I know how to give you. My time is short, and your time is more than my time. 
And Paul's not saying it like complaining. He's not saying, oh, I, I missed out on so much things and I can't believe I'm stuck here in a cell. He doesn't talk about anything like that. He's saying, my time is short and I'm getting ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And what does that mean? Is he complaining that he's getting ready to be executed? No, he's, he's comparing his death to an offering for God. He's comparing his life, which has been given up, to something that would be pleasing to God because it was used in a way that's Christ-like, that's godly, that is, that is uh, subservient to others. The gospel message is a gospel message of love. It was given free because of God loving us more than our sin, through our sin. And Paul's saying, I have fulfilled my ministry. I've done everything I can do. I've fought the good fight. And he compares that ministry to fighting the good fight for the gospel message. And it's not a fight like with someone to fight. <clears throat> it's the fight to get the word of God to other people. To serve other people in spite of the sin in this world. It's a fight against sin. It's a fight to give people eternal life. It's a fight to give people God's love against the sin in this world. And it's against the sinful tendencies of this world. That's what the fight is against. And Paul says, I fought this fight against this. And I fulfill my ministry. And he said, I've run the race and I've completed the race. Paul gives a lot of these uh, analogies to athletics. Remember back in uh, in First uh, Timothy, he was talking about the good athlete goes into training, and he's and he's talking about how how the athlete needs to be serious about training. And he's saying, "Now I've done it. I've finished the race like a good athlete. He finished strong. He finished strong in the race." So he's comparing himself to the, a good fight, to a fulfilled ministry, to, um, to an athlete who's run the race, and to even this drink offering. He's comparing his time, his death, to those things. Amazing. Amazing. And then he says, what does he say at the, at, you know, after that? As he's talking about being poured out as a drink offering, he's poured out at least his time is, is running short, running out. What does he then do? Does he focus on death? No. He looks ahead. And this is what just kind of blows my mind when I, when I think about it like this. He spends his last few, you know, paragraphs talking about the day of the Lord. He's not worried about the day of Paul's death or when he's going to get his head cut off, or when something's going to happen to him, or he's like laying in a hospital bed riddled with cancer, worrying about the blood counts, or worrying about the blood pressures, or worrying about the pain, or worrying about, you know, all these things that we all sort of are programmed to worry about. He's not worried about all that. He is anticipating the day of the Lord. And he says... 
He's looking forward on that glorious day of the day of the Lord when he'll have this victory crown. Now, this victory crown, I think, is keeping in that analogy with the athlete that's run the race. So the athlete that runs the race will get this crown, will get this this, uh, acknowledgement. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, on that day, my Lord, my Lord's going to raise me. My Lord's going to remember me. My Lord, it's not going to be just... um, So, so, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be abundance. It's going to be tremendous. And he's looking forward to it. You know, and isn't it amazing that you'll see so many people on their deathbed. And I've seen many a person on their deathbed. People tend to look back. The natural tendency is is to look back. The natural tendency is fear. The natural tendency is helplessness. The natural tendency sometimes is despondency or complacentness. But Paul, Paul gives this this, um, attitude, this amazing attitude of looking ahead. This This forward vision, this forward thinking aim. He's looking ahead, not back. And he's looking not from his own perspective. He's looking at the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord, that's when we're giving the glory to the Lord Jesus. So he's, he's looking to a day that he can be a part of when he can give even more glory to the Lord Jesus. What an amazing attitude. What an amazing uh, aim of his thoughts and I was just thinking before I'm recording this what an example to all of us because you know we all are you know all of us that are 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 professing that we're Christians we all still worry about stuff and we all still worry about what happens you know if I was to be really badly injured or How's that going to look like one day? Or what's it going to feel like? Or how does it feel when you have to go through something like that? Or everybody's going to, you know, you see other people going through it. But how's it going to be for me? And when I look at this scripture, I thought, this is one place in the Bible I can go for strength if I think I'm going to get ready to pass. This is one area of strong strength. And it's good to read the Psalms because they are so positive. It's good to read about those things. But I think it's also good to read about somebody in a bad situation, sitting in a dungy, terrible, gloomy jail cell. And those places were bad, bad news to be in. Knowing he's a condemned man. Knowing the verdict has been rendered against him. Knowing that your days are short with so many things running through your mind. And I'm just thinking, what an amazing example on how to have your your mind, how to be at peace, how to be content with what you've done, and how to look forward, not worrying about your own death, worried about 
or, or, or being thankful and being looking forward to the day of the Lord. It's not about our day or our situation. It's about looking forward to the day of the Lord. He was looking right past the sadness of his own death. He was looking to the glory and the joy and the happiness of eternal life with the Lord Jesus his crown of righteousness, his, be, his finally getting to the goal of righteousness for what he had trained his whole, well, his Christian life for, his godly life. What an amazing, amazing um, letter and end part to this letter. So for me, I'll end here. Um, we'll take up the rest of um, 2 Timothy tomorrow. But I wanted just to tell everyone how much this letter, going through this letter, has meant to me. I hope it has meant to a lot to all of you. So now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, take it away. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Second Timothy, chapter four, verse one, all the way to verse eight. So here in this section of second timothy in chapter four this is the deathbed statement of paul so paul is back in prison in rome and you know these are you know the last days of paul's life he is going to be executed and you know in this particular chapter you know there's that tone of sadness but there's also the tone of victory because paul has you know, has run his course and he has been faithful to God. And as a child of God, death doesn't mean the end of everything because we have been promised eternal life if we are faithful to God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, at his crucifixion, he was humiliated. And, you know, that tomb he was victorious over death in that tomb, you know, when he rose and he was the glorified God and he defied, you know, death. So death couldn't hold him down. And as Christians today, we were crucified and we rose together with Christ. And, you know, in as much as there's this tone of sadness because Paul has run his course, there is also that, you know, victory in it. And Paul you know, he was lonely and, you know, there was sadness because he had received word that in the Galatian area and in Asia Minor, they were turning away from the faith because, you know, apostasy, you know, that's the era in truth and heresy. It began in Paul's day and it has continued in our day today. And, you know, when the rapture happens, there will be total apostasy right now there is apostasy but there will be total apostasy where there will be fake doctrine and there will just be error in truth um because you know like the true church would have risen in the rapture to go up in the air and meet up with christ and here they there is going to be um you know an organized church which is just going to be an empty shell and it will just be full of fake doctrine so this last chapter is very personal to Paul because Paul had actually mentored Timothy and, 
you know, um, he was very close to Timothy. He loved Timothy like his own son. And, um, you know, he gives charge. He gives a charge to Timothy. And Timothy, you know, has been taught God's word from a young age because Timothy grew up in a Christian home where his mother and his grandmother were Christians. And now he is to declare the word of God. So Paul is giving him that charge to declare the word of God. And Paul has said, in days of apostasy, our only recourse is to God's word and it will, you know, it will meet all our needs. So it will touch us deeply. You know, if we receive the word of God in true faith, it will touch us deeply. It will reach, you know, our vital organs, our, you know, it will reach in our hearts. It's, it's not like just reading any other book. Um, if you read the word of God and, you know, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us and you read the word of God in faith and in truth and you understand it, it will touch our vital organs. So also, you know, in the previous um, verse, in the previous chapter, that was in chapter 3, verse 16, it was written, all scripture is inspired by God. And, you know, it's God breathed, you know, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelations. You know, these are living words of God. You know, it's actually God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed. It's um, a true inspiration of God, you know, from Genesis to Revelations. And it's inspired by God. And the proof is that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect and may reach full maturation equipped for all good works. So God says, taste to the Lord and see whether he's good and this is proof of god's word as being truthful so here um second timothy chapter 4 verse 1 reads i charge you therefore before god and the lord jesus christ whom will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom so here it says at his appearing so and and his kingdom so here it's 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 two different things so his appearing is the rapture of the church and by his kingdom this is the revelation you know the return of Christ here on earth to establish his kingdom and he will do some judging and he will do it twice so he will judge his believers when he takes them out of this world during the rapture he will judge them and he will judge those who will go through the great tribulation and turn to God, those who manage to actually turn to God in the great tribulation, they will also be judged whether they, you know, qualify to enter the kingdom or not. So scripture goes on to read in verse two, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long, long suffering or perseverance and teaching. So here, you know, Paul is telling Timothy that, you know, in view of the fact that um, you are to be judged here is what you are going to actually do. You know, despite the judgment, um, you know, as a child of God, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to preach the word of God. So you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to preach the word. So you're supposed to give out the word, proclaim God's word. You're supposed to go out there and talk about God's word. So God's word... Um, is supposed to be proclaimed out there. So be ready, be diligent. You know, it's like there is an emphasis to an urgency. You know, be diligent um, in and out of season. So, you know, as 
God's children, we ought to be ready to give out God's word at any time. Whether it's at 2 a.m., whether it's at, you know, 1 a.m., you're woken up and all, um, you know, we ought to be diligent and we ought to be ready to give out God's word at any time and anywhere. So, you know, you don't have to preach about God's word, but we're supposed to preach the word of God. And, you know, as Paul has actually stated it here, um, it says, preach the word. He doesn't say preach about the word. He says preach the word. So we ought to go out there and preach the word. And here, um, so God's word must be actually preached. And then we ought to convict. That's reprove. So the word should be given out with conviction. You know, as children of God, we ought to be, you know, we ought to have that conviction when giving out the word of God. And here, rebuke means to threaten. So if you don't, intends to give out the word of God, then, you know, you don't have to go to the pulpit. You know, if you just intend to actually just, you know, give out the word as, you know, how people want to actually hear it, you know, scratching ears, then just don't give it. You don't, don't stand on the pulpit. So, and um, here we have the word exhort. Exhort means comfort. So we need to recognize that there are times of, you know, there are times to actually comfort, you know, with a lot of um, you know, with a lot of patience, that's long suffering and, um, doctrine that's uh, teaching. So here the word of God, Paul is giving Timothy instructions. He's giving him a charge. You know, you go out there and preach the word of God, be ready in all seasons. That's preach God's word. That's giving it, giving it out. And, um, in all seasons, in and out of season with conviction, rebuke. So, you know, give out the word of God with conviction and rebuke here means, you know, you actually tell people as it is, you know, give the word of God as it is and, you know, exhort. So that's comfort. And, um, you know, with, you know, with patience, long suffering and teaching, you know, doctrine. So every minister should have a teaching ministry. And this is what the man of God is to do today. You know, um, we ought to have a teaching ministry. The word of God ought to go out there, give the word of God and teach. Verse 3 of Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 reads, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So here today, you know, they are few church members that will actually endure sound doctrine you find a lot of people going to church and all but there are very few members that will actually want to listen to actually to sound doctrine because you know it's not something that actually like strokes their ego so they you know today people don't want to listen to sound doctrine at all because it steps on their feet and you know it actually offends them and then it also says they will heap um to themselves teachers so a lot of people want religious entertainers. So, you know, they will heap themselves, you know, different kinds of teachers. Um, they will go and listen to this particular preacher, you know, because if that particular preacher doesn't appeal to what they want to hear, they will move on to the next teacher. So they will keep heaping themselves, you know, um, teachers. Verse 4 goes on to read, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So here, you know, in verse 3, 
we looked we talked about itching ears itching ears will soon become deaf ears because you're itching so you're itching to hear what you want to hear and eventually you know you turn away and you end up listening to um you know fables and you turn away from true doctrine so here um you know as people turn away from the truth um you know they they become deaf to actually the truth so people won't want to hear sound doctrine, but something that will entertain them. So, you know, there are a lot of people who are interested in hearing about, you know, the Antichrist and they're not interested in hearing about Christ. You know, a lot of people who want to like, oh, hey, you know, when it comes to the book of Revelations, like Dr. David McGee mentioned, you know, they will come there and actually pay attention. But, you know, when you once you move away to just another book. You know, they don't want to actually hear it. So they're more interested in hearing about the Antichrist and not interested in hearing about Christ. They don't want to be given God's word. They don't want the word of God to be preached to them because, you know, it doesn't appeal to them. They want to hear what they want to hear. They have itching ears. Verse 5 of scripture goes on to read, But you be watchful in all things and your afflictions do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry so here you know the work of an evangelist um was a traveling teacher in that day and you know a missionary and paul was an evangelist he was a traveling missionary in in this particular instance and he says to timothy you are to do the work of an evangelist and that is what Timothy had actually been doing when he was with Paul. So Paul is just giving him the instructions and that charge. You have to continue, you know, being a traveling evangelist, evangelizing the word of God. So Paul told Timothy that um, it would actually cost him something to preach God's word. And this is what's happening today. It's, you know, Christians are getting persecuted. And, um, you know, this actually holds true today. You know, you cannot stand up on you know, public TV in, in public and, you know, talk about God's word because, you know, it's going to offend some people. And this is today's modern reality because the liberals are going to get offended because they're going to say, you know, you're infringing on my rights. I'm getting uncomfortable. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Christians getting persecuted in, in, in other countries where, um, you know, people can't even, you know, like own a Bible. Um, they're going to get killed for it. So, um, Scripture goes on to read, like, you know, from verse 6 to verse 8, we see here now the deathbed tem testimony of the Apostle Paul. So Paul writes his um, epitaph here, and he gives us his um, deathbed testimony. And this is a note of triumph for a child of God because, um, you know, because death doesn't end everything. And if you're a child of God, death is not the end. So there is a victory in Christ when he came back from the dead. He was humiliated when he died, but um, he was glorified when he was raised from death. And here, I'll just quickly read through it uh, because we're going to go through it tomorrow. And it reads, For I am, re I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, righteousness sorry, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
this is like a beautiful scripture, you know, like verse seven, I have fought the good fight. So Paul has reached his end and, you know, he is saying he has fought the good fight and he has finished the race. So in as much as, you know, it's, it's both bittersweet, you know, it's a sad uh, note to it, but, you know, there's a victory to it because, you know, Paul fought the good fight and, you know, and as a child of God, you know, death is not the end. Because, um, you know, there is victory and there's the victory of Christ who came back from the dead, who was raised from the dead. And, you know, he was glorified when he was raised from death. So we were raised together with Christ. So death is not the end for a child of God. And so, yeah, yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.